Please remain standing while we read from 1 Samuel 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim, so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God has not yet, had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time. He arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Join me in prayer. <clears throat> Lord God, thank you for your word. We cannot imagine not having the very word of the Lord. There are millions, no billions of people that do not have the word of the Lord in their heart language. Our passage, passage says, 
The word of the Lord was rare in those days. To be without God's special revelation is to be without the hope of the gospel and thus without the hope of redemption. We are here to hear the very word of God today. We're called to pay heed to the Lord, listening to him through our study of his word so that we may know his will for our lives. May our hearts be tuned to God's theme for his story and our place in it. Be with your servant, Andrew, this morning. Bless his words. May they go into our hearts. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Drew. All right, here we go. We're back in 1 Samuel. We are looking at these uh, narratives um, and uh, this, you know, under the rubric of longing for a king, uh, putting together the, the stories that have been pushed down, not, not stories in the sense of made-up stories, but uh, these uh, real-life accounts of people making sense of, of what it means to be a people of God, what it means to, to live in a culture, in a community that doesn't acknowledge God. And there are lots of ways because of that that we can connect to these. Um, it, it's interesting when we read biblical narratives, sometimes we want to approach it the same way that we approach like an epistle or a letter, you know, pedagogical, uh, you know, real, real, uh, uh, you know, just uh, doctrinal material. You can't necessarily approach it the same way. You, you have to take in. There's a, so many things in 1 Samuel 3 that uh, speak to us of the what is going on. So like when we see Samuel sleeping during, near the Ark of the Covenant and Eli lying in his own place, uh, that, that's meant to tell us something about the, the attitudes of, of the hearts of people. Or when we see Samuel opening the doors in the morning in verse 15, you know, that gives us a picture of what's going on. But we do want to try to understand it this morning, and it's a story that is about the Word of God. This is probably one of the most famous chapters in 1 Samuel. Uh, certainly 1 Samuel 16, the story of David and Goliath is the most famous uh, of the chapters in 1 Samuel, but this might be number two. Uh, this makes it into a lot of the children's Bibles that we have. We, we see the story of Samuel being called and, you know, not really understanding that it's the Lord and going back and forth with Eli as we've encountered in this. But while it is a story about the calling of Samuel, it, it's more a story uh, about God's Word and how it interacts with our hearts and lives and its role within the community, especially uh, a community that is in darkness, that is, is lost in many ways. We remember we connected this the last couple of weeks with the time of the judges when there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Uh, we saw that very specifically last week with Hophni and Phinehas. It wasn't just the Midianites, it wasn't just the Philistines that were persecuting God's people, but it was the priests, you know, where, where people were coming to uh, presumably conf confess sin, 
there the, the high priests were committing sin. Uh, right there with lying with the women at the, the very gates of the temple. And, and so the question is, what is going to penetrate this darkness? Story uh, I shared with you, I think it's been about five years ago as far as I could tell. So many of you probably haven't heard it and the rest of you probably don't remember. Uh, but Hian Pham. Uh, was a young Vietnamese uh, man uh, during the, the rise of communism in, in Vietnam, early 1970s. Uh, he was a, an English speaker. He had been introduced to the ideas of the West. He had been introduced to Christianity and had given his, his life to the Lord. Uh, but because of his love for the West and some, doing some interpretation and different things like that, he was thrown into a prison. And uh, it was there in the prison that they were uh, just deluging him with Marxist ideals in French and Vietnamese, forced to read Marx and Engels day after day after day. And, and he began to despair and to wonder, you know, can, is God really real? Can I really believe in this one or not? And he actually made a determination in his own heart uh, that maybe I've been lied to. Maybe God does not exist. Maybe I have been deceived by this whole Christianity thing. He determined that when he woke up the next day, uh, he would not pray anymore or think of his faith. Well, the next day he woke up and he was given the dreaded duty. Uh, it was latrine duty in the in the camp. And so he was forced to go in and to take the refuse that, uh, you know, was whatever, uh, the, the refuse that had accumulated and, and to get it out. And as he was doing that, he noticed some paper with English words written on it. And, and so he went and he got it and he cleaned it off. And uh, later that night when everybody else was asleep, he went and he found the words of Romans 8. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And there in his darkness, you know, there at the, at the very moment where he had said, God is silent. I, I don't know if I can believe in this God anymore. Uh, God was able to work through what the communist leaders had taken as refuse uh, and had used to, to clean themselves up. God took that and spoke directly into the heart of this young man. In many ways, we, we have a similar situation here. It, it's dark. So just four observations. We're going to walk right through the text this morning. You know, the text tells us in, in verses 1 and 2 that there was a famine in the land for the word. Uh, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision, or maybe a better translation of that, there was no frequent revelation. Why, why is this? Well, 
you know, there are different epochs and different histories. Uh, there hadn't been a prophet in the land since Moses, uh, at least a, a primary prophet. We do see that there was men of God. Deborah prophesied, you know, during the times of Judges. And there were, there were inbreakings of it, but in terms of an office since Moses, you know, until this young boy Samuel, there, there was no prophet. But even more than that, I think this uh, speaks to what's going on in the hearts of the people. You know, we, we've seen that everybody's doing what was right in their own eyes. Uh, they have rejected the Lord as king. Uh, Yahweh will make that very clear when we come to chapter 8. And, and, and the darkness that had descended in their hearts was now becoming symbolic throughout the land. Or it was becoming a reality throughout the land. Symbolized, of course, by Eli the priest, his vision uh, was becoming dim. Uh, and, and there was just a darkness that covered the land. Over and over again, we, we see that, that God allows this to happen. As we mentioned last week, you know, with Hophni and Phinehas, God gave them over to the desires of their hearts. And this is, this is often the case. Uh, I had you use for your moment of meditation this morning, Amos chapter 8. You know, there is coming a famine for the word of the Lord. People will search to and fro. They will not find it. Well, this is 300 years later. Amos 8 is 300 years after the events of 1 Samuel. But you have a very similar situation. You know, when you read through Amos chapter 4 and Amos chapter 6, it's things like self-indulgence, both sexually uh, and in terms of... Um, you know, just greed and gluttony and all of these different things. You cows of Bashan, you lay around on beds inlaid with ivory. You know, that is the condition there. And God will say, if that's, that's what you're pursuing, then darkness you will find. Uh, darkness will be the result of what you pursue. And we see this over and over and over again in the time of God's people where, where darkness comes across our land. I think about that even from today. Like we live on the one hand uh, with regards to the word of the Lord in Western America. Like we have so much um, so much opportunity, so much accessibility to God's Word. I, I have, was cleaning out, I've recently switched offices and was cleaning. I, I've got, if you need a Bible, please come to my office. I, I have so many copies of the Bible, and I do frequently give them away, but I mean, it's just accessible in ways that has, has never been the case. I mean, we have electronically now. You have it on your phones. You know, you can go to numbers of different websites, all of this. It's incredibly accessible. But I wonder, is it always light? Or is there sometimes darkness? You know, when we refuse to acknowledge the word of the Lord, its authority, its power, where we refuse to read it, even for those of us who, who love the Lord and for those of us who seek to follow after Him, like if, if those were all gone, how, how long would it be before we missed the word of the Lord? 
I, I don't say these things to condemn us, uh, but, but just simply to, to remember that it's such a gift. And if we, if we don't, uh, don't desire it, if we don't pursue it, it will easily turn back and become darkness. Uh, and, and we see this darkness that had descended on Israel. But, remember the text says, the, the lamp had not quite yet gone out. Uh, again, picturesque. In the temple during those days, they, they kept a, a lamp on from dusk till dawn. It's probably part of what Samuel was doing, sleeping where he was, was tending that and making sure that that lamp stayed lit throughout the night. But it's a picture of the fact that even when it does seem dark, uh, God always has uh, a way into the hearts of his people. God has his people set aside. God has men and women ready to speak a word for him. Now, Samuel is growing in this. We've seen this contrast last week you know, in chapter 2, uh, the interweaving of Hophni and Phinehas and all of their despicable, worthless acts with the boy Samuel. The boy Samuel grew. The boy Samuel grew in favor and stature with God and man. You know, there was always this hope that the light wouldn't go out. How would it happen? It, it would happen through this boy Samuel. And, and here it begins to happen. We're told in verse 7 that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Again, that contrast with Hophni and Phinehas. Hophni and Phinehas were told in chapter 2, they're worthless men, despicable men, vile men, uh, and they did not know the Lord. Uh, there is just speaking to a complete hardness of heart. Here, what God is saying, what the, the narrator is telling us, is that God is, is God is man. And, and he is going to reveal himself to Samuel. And, and Samuel is going to be in a completely different place than Hophni and Phinehas uh, are, were, and uh, where they finally end up in terms of their lives, as we'll see next week. Just a couple of things about this. You know, one is the, the promise uh, that God will not let the lamp go out and will continue to work through his word. Did you pick up verse 11 there where it says, behold, I am doing a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. You know, there, there is a promise uh, that, that God is going to work, that he is going to bring about societal change. He is going to bring about a, um, he's going to bring about a, a revival in the hearts of his people through his word, through the establishment of Samuel, through the prophetic message. And I think about this, you know, we're talking about the inbreaking of the word in our culture. Like, what is it that we are banking on? 
You know, when, when we think about it, and I'm sure many of you would look out at our culture and say it's very dark times. You know, we, we see the polarization in America. We see, you know, we see poverty and wealth and greed, and we see sexuality and confusion and, and immorality, and we see all of these different things. You know, where is the hope for our generations to come, where, where is change going to, how, how is that going to happen? And, and oftentimes our minds go to, okay, when is the next election? You know, can I, can I get the right politician in office? And the answer to that is no, by the way. Uh, you know, can we, but that's the kind of places where our hope goes, or, or how can we you know, through our own work and efforts, how can we affect change? Does our hope go to the Word of God as being the thing that will come into our culture and affect change? Do we really believe in its truth and its power? I confess, and I said this in the first service, you know, as one who works with the Word all the time, yeah, it's, it's literally my job to work with, with the Word. I, I realize that sometimes it can become sort of objective for me. A, and, I, and I forget it, its power, that it's living and active and sharper than to any two-edged sword and, and can really change the hearts of people. You know, sometimes as a church, we can get caught up in, in ministry strategy and being strategic and all of these different things, not realizing that the Word itself has power in people's lives, and, and that is where the, the promise is. You know, I think about it, just as I think about the summer, Debbie talked about uh, these, uh, these backyard Bible clubs or the arts and rec camp and, and bringing the Word to children in our communities. It's not just something that we're doing. Like, I'm telling this to myself. I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, this, it's not just something that we're doing because, oh, that'll be great. We'll have some great crafts and we'll teach some good songs and it'll be a nice little community builder. No, it's the power of the Word to change lives. You know, here we have the boy Samuel, and you think about all that his life is going to encompass, but it's the Word that uh, becomes abundant in his life that begins to make the change not only for him, but also for all of Israel. We've got a group here today from Muskegon uh, who are uh, in the process of, of planting a church uh, in Muskegon, a, a PCA church, and we're thinking about that. Like, why do we do that? Because of the Word. It's not that there's not another church building there. There's lots of church buildings in Muskegon, but to, to really have a church that proclaims the Word, the gospel, sin, repentance, grace, all of those things, like we believe in those things. And, and, and that's what God is saying, like, I'm going to do a thing in Israel that will make the two ears of those uh, who hear it tingle. Uh, because of the, the reality of, of what he is promising through his word. So when we come to this and we think about the inbreaking of the word, we, we think about its power. And we think about how it 
has the power to change lives. You know, thinking about our, our Wednesdays in the Word that we have coming up in June. We're going to come together. It'll be great. We'll be on the, on the berm out there. Kids will be playing around. But we're just going to read loud portions of the Word. Because we, we need to allow that word to saturate our hearts and lives. We're going through this thing where we're singing these psalms. You know, this is our third week on Psalm 102. Uh, have we allowed it to sink into our hearts because the word has power? Here, here's the second thing I'll just say about the inbreaking is, is that God is so patient in this. I love this picture of God, uh, or this picture of, you know, Eli, uh, Samuel hears this, he goes to Eli, no, it wasn't me, you know, the first time we can really relate to Eli, he's like any parent that has been waking up in the middle of the night, he's like, go back, lie down, it's just two imperatives, and when I get woken up in the night, it's just imperatives, that's it, uh, but uh, he begins to get a, a little bit more patient with him. And, and then the third time he's like, you know, it, it is the Lord. And, and, and then God comes and, and we're told there, I think it's verse 10, that the Lord came and he stood by Samuel. Uh, he reveals himself and he calls Samuel, Samuel. He uses this tender uh, repeating of the word to call Samuel's name. It's the only place in the Old Testament where stood has the Lord as, uh, as its subject. Uh, so you see God's movement towards Samuel. His tenderness in calling him, his patience, even in the midst of of this very dark time. And we're reminded, we're encouraged, our hearts are warmed, you know, to, to pray to God and to cry out, to long for the Word of God, which brings change, which brings truth. We can begin to understand why the prophet says, or, or the psalmist says in, in Psalm 19, you know, the, the Word of the Lord is sweeter than honey. Uh, sweeter than honey from the comb, and, and we begin to pine after the word. Now, that doesn't mean that it's easy, and this is the third observation here, is that all the words, <laughs> all the words are what is important. Uh, God comes, he speaks to Samuel, part of the, the tingling in the ear is going to be the word of judgment, <clears throat> verses 12 to 14 that he is bringing on Eli's household. Uh, he has already proclaimed this. The man of God came at the end of chapter 2, uh, I think beginning in verse 27 to 31, uh, or maybe it's a little bit later, maybe beginning in verse 31. Uh, but uh, he, he had come. Now, this is the second witness. And, and you know that that's part of the Old Testament law. You had two witnesses uh, this is now the second witness against Eli's household that God was going to remove uh, his blessing from Eli's household. The priesthood was eventually going to land in the household of Zadok, uh, and, and we'll see how that story lays out. But here, here's just what we need to note about this, is that Samuel doesn't have a choice which words to deal with. 
You know, Samuel is going to hear all sorts of words over the course of his ministry, words that are sweet and good, uh, but he is also going to hear some hard words. And here he starts out with some hard words. You know, it says there that Samuel lay in his bed till morning. <laughs> Didn't say anything about sleeping. And Samuel is, is very slow. He opens a temple and he's, you can just see him doing his things, trying to avoid Eli. But Eli knows that uh, he had heard from the Lord and Eli said, you, you need to tell me everything. And, and Eli probably has a sense that, you know, this, he's already heard this once, but there's this sense of foreboding. And Samuel gives him everything. Now, again, I, I say this because we, we have God's Word. And, and there are so many great and beautiful and precious promises in God's Word. And we need to take them and we need to uh, soak them in. We need to allow them to fill us and lead us and guide us. But we also need to know that God's Word is, is full of warning. You know, you come to a place like Hebrews chapter 10 where it says, you know, woe to those who, who have God's word and refuse to do it, refuse to follow it. You know, God's word, you know, we look at our culture and we're, we're so many things. I mean, think about wealth. I mean, think about just the two things that are in, you know, view here in 1 Samuel. You have greed and wealth of the high priest taking the meat, you know, taking, you know, becoming fat, you know, the gluttony, all of that's going on with that. You have the, the sexual perversions that are happening in the, the gates of the temple. You know, these are the things that are there. They were there in Amos' time, and they're here in our time. And God's Word speaks to these things. And if we only take the things that we like, that, that tickle our ears, like Paul will say, in, in a different way, if we only listen to those things, we're, we're in danger uh, of missing the whole counsel of God. Uh, you know, the writer of the Hebrews will go on and say, it, it's a dangerous thing. It's a fearful thing to, to fall into the hands of of the living God. Uh, and, and so part of what we need to recognize as we come to this is that all of God's words uh, are important. And, and notice too, this is the last thing I'll say on this, what does he, what does he judge Eli for? Do you, do you see it there in your text? It's not for what Eli does. <laughs> it's not the sins of commission. What is it? It's the sins of omission. It's for what Eli doesn't do. Eli saw what was going on. He knew what was happening with his kids. And he didn't do anything about it. He didn't say anything. And part of what, you know, this narrative comes to us and says is like, you know, we live in the midst of a culture. We, we live with people working out their stories. And if we're going to really be God's people, we're going to be God's representatives, we have a responsibility not only to not transgress, but we have a responsibility to speak out against injustice, against transgression, against immorality, all of these things. We can't cover our eyes. Uh, 
and pretend that God is not being profaned or blasphemed is the word here. You know, we can't pretend that that is happening. We, we have to speak out. You know, I, I think about this and, and just thinking about my own heart and life and how easy it is. I'm an Enneagram 7. I like to avoid pain. Uh, you know, you Enneagram 8s, you don't have such a problem with this. You speak out. You, you, you like to, to go right at it. But, you know, the 7s avoiding pain. And so I oftentimes won't speak. I mean, even with my own kids sometimes. You know, I, I forget that I'm their dad and I want to be their friend. Uh, and, and so don't speak as clearly uh, as I'm called to, as the Scripture calls us to. All God's words, you know, the, the totality of what He has to say to us. The last thing that I just want to highlight, and again, we're just walking straight through this passage uh, but you really get a hint of it in verse 15. Samuel lay until the morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of God. And Samuel grew, verse 19, and the Lord was with him. And the Lord let none of his words, none of uh, the Lord's words to Samuel, through Samuel, fall to the ground, and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of God. Chapter 4, verse 1, the word of Samuel came to all Israel. So here, here's the, the effect of this. You know, we move in chapter 3 from the word of the Lord was rare to the word of the Lord is established. The word of the Lord is there. God doesn't let any of the words fall to the ground. God is going to be faithful to a uh, recalcitrant, uh, hard-hearted, stiff-necked people. He's going, to be, he's going to be faithful by bringing his word through the prophet Samuel. And we look at this and we say, what a blessing. You know, what, what a blessing that, that God doesn't give up on his people, that God speaks. He sends prophets and he sends priests. And he's eventually going to give them a king. He's going to give them a man after his own heart. Wouldn't it be great if God spoke so clearly in our day? Wouldn't it be great if we had a prophet like Samuel? But I think you know where this is going. Because God has spoken more clearly in our day. Second Peter chapter 1. He says, when God revealed Jesus, we, we hear this very voice born from heaven. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention to as to a lamp shining in a dark place. We, we have the more fully confirmed prophetic word because we have the word made flesh who dwelt among us. You know, the writer of the Hebrews, as Drew read to us in terms of our declaration of forgiveness in various times, God spoke to us through the prophets, but in these final days, He has spoken to us through His Son. 
who made propitiation. He, he turned aside our sin in order that we might receive mercy. Brothers and sisters, God is doing something. He, he's always up to something. I, I'm doing a thing in your day, in our day, that's going to make the two ears of everyone who hears it tingle. Do you believe that? Do we believe that? As a community, do we trust that? Do we continue to, to rest on that? Do we believe that, that the Word is at the center of it, both the Word made flesh as well as His revelation to us? Because if we do, it, it will shape how we interact with one another. It, it will shape how we engage each other, our friends, our neighbors, people outside of us. But it's such an invitation to, to come and to find the established word of the Lord and to know its life-giving power. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. Uh, we do indeed. We thank you for its truth. We thank you for its power. We thank you that it is living and active. Lord, we, we pray that throughout this week we would uh, find ways to take it in, to uh, consume it, to eat the word like you told Ezekiel to do or Jeremiah to do. Lord, we, we pray that you would uh, continue to plant it deep in us as we sang a little bit earlier. Father, now as we respond to this, we pray that you would help us to hear the voice of Jesus, the Word made flesh, ever more clearly, especially as we prepare to come to your table this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.